0: I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic, digestion, and discussion. Please stay with us. Hello, and welcome to Health Matters Radio. Dr. Ned Hoke is joined today with you, and we're doing a program on Lyme's, Lyme's disease. And of course, with we're living in a world of contagion. Of course, with the COVID, so we can't unfortunately forget that this is the winter season, and it's a high season for tick-borne diseases as well. So, not only need we protect ourselves from the COVID and make proper preparations. This much of what uh, we could do for the Lyme's uh, protection, there's some things are somewhat similar uh, in terms of supporting inwardly. And our primary guest will be later in the program, Veer McCoy, has written a book called Liberating Yourself from Lyme, An Integrative and Intuitive Guide to Healing Lyme Disease. And uh, Veer has quite a lot to say about it and a a good good deal of experience on the topic given that he was a sufferer for nearly 10 years. Uh, But before we uh, get to visit with Veer directly, I thought I'd just take a a piece out of a our own Sonoma Index Tribune, and read from a, a program from or that is an article from last year written by Ann Ward-Ernst. And Ann Ward-Ernst is an Index, Index Tribune staff writer. And on uh, February 6, 2020, she wrote a book about Lyme disease. And I thought that would be a nice introduction to the topic. Uh, and, of course, it's right here at home, as the saying goes. So that's what we'll do first. We'll first we'll read from Ann Ward Ernst's Index Tribune, our article, and then we'll have Veer McCoy. So please stay with us. We'll, that's what we'll do. So here's Ann Ward Ernst. Lyme disease is a vector-borne disease, the most common in America, that is transmitted by an infected black-legged deer tick. That's but one of dear. uh, This is an aside. That's just one of many ticks. But that's the one she's talking about. The symptoms include fever, skin rash, headache, and fatigue. Some classic characteristics of this are the skin rash that are lighter, and a dusky center that may also resemble a target with multiple circles. It's called a bullseye uh, rash in the in the literature. The center can also appear bluish, as if it is clearing the bright red orange it's that bright red oval shapes are also common as as a, as is a crusty lesion at the center of the red rash and then with this they have photos at the CDC red site you can go look at Lyme's, cdc.gov limes signs if you want to see the rash up directly anyway typically if caught in its early stages people recover quickly with through antibiotic treatments now, the, the course of course, part of the trick is to per- protect, or that is, prevent, tick bites. Before entering a tick habitat, <clears throat> and this is now, by the way, uh, apply a tick repellent to expose skin with a suggested EPA active ingredient of called DEET, D W E T or peric- 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 you know, pycaridin. Anyway, deed is how it's known typically, pericaridin, IR-3535, the oil of lemon eucalyptus or promethean. That's the word I knew better. Anyway, treated clothes and equipment with an arcaricide that contains promethrin. That's kind of what we do uh, when I do this work in terms of protecting myself. Wear light-colored clothing to make it easier to see ticks. Wear long pants and long sleeves. Stay on trails to avoid brushing by grasses where questing ticks await. Avoid contact with leaf litter and logs where nymphs ticks wait. And we'll talk about what nymphs are. Shower after coming inside and check for ticks and bites. Tumble dry clothes for 10 minutes at a high heat to kill ticks. If the tick is on you or a pet, remove it immediately to reduce contracting tick-borne disease. Using tweezers, remove it at the head using steady pressure in an upward motion. Do not twist or jerk the tick to avoid breaking off the mouth and leaving any tick part on the skin. Thoroughly clean the the bite area and hands with rubbing alcohol and soap and water. Consult a physician if pain or redness develops in the bite area. In California, ticks are ready to bite year-round. There are peak periods for some ticks in certain stages of their life cycle. Winter happens to be when adult ticks that that can cause Lyme are the most active, i.e. now. In 2019, in Sonoma and Marin counties, about 1.1% of adult ticks and 5% of nymphs tested were infected with, with uh, Borrelia burgdorferia, the causative agent of Lyme's disease, said Niza Sequerian, the spokesperson for the Marin Sonoma um, Mosquito and Vector Control District. In addition to backyards, Sonoma Valley has thousands of acres of open space where the little buggers live. And given that the lifestyle of some ticks may be up to three years, ample time for one to latch onto a bare leg or a dog's a dog shoulder that's passing by. Called questing, just like the word says, Q-U-E-S-T-I-N-G, questing, Ticks perch on the tip of blades of grass or the rim of leaves with their two front legs stretched out waiting for a host to attach to, which then become a meal provider. They cannot fly or jump, so they climb onto passing hosts that brush by. Nymphs or immature ticks are often found in leaf litter or logs, and adult ticks frequent tall grasses. The three most commonly encountered ticks at Sonoma Valley are the western black-legged tick, also called the deer tick, and the America dog tick, uh, and the Pacific coast tick, according to the vectorial control. Deer ticks are active October through July, with adult activity peaking in the winter and the nymphs nymphs peaking in, in the spring. The, nipple, the nymphal stage of the tick is tiny and hard to detect on your body. Sequeria said, both the adult and the nymphs can transmit Lyme disease. Adult dog—strike right, that. American dog ticks are found in November to June. Pacific, Pacific Coast ticks can be found from May through August. Sequeria said, there are hard and soft ticks, each with different lifestyles. Hard ticks, such as the Deer tick emerge from eggs as larvae with six legs and seek a host for their first blood meal. After it feeds, it molts into a nymphal stage and acquires eight legs and again seeks a host, feeds and molts again into the adult stage. The final stage requires another blood meal. After which, adult, excuse me, adult, adult females, females drop off and lay a batch of 1,000 eggs, and then she dies. <coughs> Excuse me. The length of time a hard tick feeds varies from several days to weeks depending on life stage, host type, and the species of tick. When the tick is engorged, the entire, the exterior surface of the adult tick can expand anywhere between 200 to 600 times its unfed body weight, according to UC Davis Department of etymology, and nematology. Some ticks, such as the deer tick, go through a higher stages of activity during seasonal and life stages. For example, winter and early spring, when adult ticks are most active, just about any time adult activity tapers off, nymphal activity ticks up. Nymphal ticks the immature stage when the ticks pose a higher risk excuse me, of transmitting diseases such as Lyme disease are the most active in the spring and early summer. According to the California Department of Public Health, there are other diseases transmitted by ticks, (coughs) such as Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Nymphs are responsible for most human infection of Lyme disease, in part because they are so small and difficult to see and remove, according to the CDC. A tick must be attached to its host for 36 to 48 hours before the disease's bacteria can be transmitted. I found that to be a very interesting fact. Ticks may make may take anywhere from 10 minutes to 2 hours preparing to bite. It feeds by grabbing the skin, cutting in, and then inserting its barbed feeding tube, which is like a straw, to suck up blood. Ooh. Some species uh, secrete a cement-like substance that helps them stay attached. Found on the West Coast, the western fence lizard has a protein in its blood that can kill the, the spirochete, the, the spiral-shaped bacteria, which can cause Lyme disease and other diseases. In the gut of the infected lymph tick, nymph tick, if the tick eats a blood meal from the lizard, when the nymph becomes an adult, it will not pass on the bacteria. Centers for Disease Control reports, in 2018, there were 33,666 cases of Lyme disease nationwide. 2,000, strike that, 23,558 confirmed and 10,108 probable. In California, there were 62 confirmed cases reported in 2018. Contrast that to Pennsylvania, which reported 7,920 confirmed cases, Oklahoma which reported none. This doesn't necessarily mean Oklahoma has zero cases of Lyme. It just means that they were not reported. Marin-Sonoma Mosquito and Vector Control District doesn't spray for ticks as it does for mosquitoes. Instead, it concentrates its awareness elsewhere. So that's the article from the Index Tribune which sort of leads us into this topic. And what I'll now do now for a couple minutes, I will read from um, Veer McCoy's um, literature here, and then Veer will be with us shortly. Again, we're talking about the book called "Liberating Yourself from Lyme." Learn to understand what your body is telling you, and discover the optimum tr- uh, treatment path for your unique Lyme symptoms. For some people, recovering from Lyme disease infection can become an endless battle with physical, mental, and neurological symptoms, especially if it's not diagnosed early. After they have contracted Lyme's in 2001, Veer McCoy and Kara Zal embarked on a standard antibiotic protocols. Soon they began to have intuitive and sensory impressions about specific remedies their body needed the nature of the disease, and why they were chronically ill. Backing up their intuitive impressions with scientific evidence, they developed a protocol that brought them each a full recovery after nearly 10 years of battling chronic Lyme. In this medical intuitive approach to Lyme, the authors share their personal Lyme journeys and their integrative healing protocols that bridges the scientific and the spiritual. They explore the peculiarities of the body's organs and nervous system. They examine in detail the new and standard remedies with thorough scientific references. They share the spiritual psychological strategies they successfully employed against Lyme and and its co-infections, and explain how to increase your sensitivity to what your body is telling you to discover natural remedies and healing actions to unique to your individual symptoms. Outlining a program of herbs, diet, and exercise, they work in tandem with traditional uh, Lyme treatments. They also explore how to help the body get rid of the pathogen and possess an incredible ability to adapt to various treatments and thwart effectiveness. So anyway, that's a few words from uh, the book of Liberating Yourself from Lyme. Uh We'll take a little break, and then we'll be back with Veer McCoy shortly. Stay tuned. And welcome back to Health Matters Radio. The, Dr. Ned Hoke, now joined by Veer McCoy. And we're talking about his uh, new book called Liberating Yourself from Lyme, an integrative and intuitive guide to healing Lyme disease. And it's co-authored with Zara, uh, how do you say the last name, Zal? Zala, right so uh, Veer, thank you for taking the moment to be with us and we know it's a it's a uh, you know it's a it's a strong time that we're all living with the in the covid pandemic kind of thing so it's people's in, you know intentions are, are focused so much on trying to stay alive pretty much in the midst of the covid but the, the, the truth is also that that we're also living in a, a season anyway when limes, Potential is there. So, let's start with Gary, uh, Vera, with giving our audience a little bit of a an understanding about your what you do with your everyday life and kind of how you you know. Let's start with the present. What are you, what are you doing these days? And and uh, other than talking to people like me about your book, uh, what are what are you what's what's your everyday life like?
1: Yeah, um, I work as. Uh, I've worked as a a field biologist for almost 30 years, and I I did live in uh, Marin County for 10 years from 2000 to 2010, where I I, I did get Lyme disease there, and I um, now live in Los Angeles, and so for your listeners, field biology, I'm the kind of person that goes out. When I was a little kid, I was always really into plants and animals and stuff, and and I always just had an affinity for them. So I thought, oh, maybe if I learn the names of these things, maybe I can get a job or something like that. So <laughs>
0: right. That's, that's, that's kind
1: of kind of what happened. So I'm the person that when uh, yeah, I go out and do surveys, endangered species surveys, when someone, you know, wants to build in an area or there's a need for seeing what plants and animals are in a particular area, I go out and I do that. And I do everything from bird surveys to so salamander surveys or, Frog surveys, and I also do botany as well, endangered plants. So I'm very familiar with the flora and fauna of, of especially California. But I'm also a musician too, and a lot of people know me as a musician. And I've toured around with different bands over the years and do uh, do all sorts of music stuff, everything from children's music to comedy. So I just love music. But um,
0: what what, what is your what is your instrument?
1: I play guitar and I play bass, but, um, I've also played, uh, I was in a band called hamsalila And so I play a bunch of ethnic instruments from North Africa.
0: Ooh, that must be fun.
1: Yeah. And, uh, um, and then my third career is, um, I, I guess we call it the healing arts. I'm a trained body worker. And, um, I had a lot of back issues when I was younger. So I got into doing body work and, but that developed more into uh, getting into herbs and homeopathics and and, uh, and antibiotics and 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 uh, a lot more more sort of healing oriented things, especially after I had contracted Lyme in two thousand one in Marin.
0: Right. Well, so in terms of in terms of uh, providing guidance and, and uh, information to the public on the on these various healing things are you are you focused in a primary way on the Lymes area or is it that's just one part of the larger picture?
1: That's just one part of the larger picture so I I, I came out of Lyme disease in about 2009 or 10 and I I haven't I've been fine since then but I started writing a book. And uh, the book you mentioned, Liberating Yourself from Lyme," So I started that like 15 years ago, and it just got published. It just came out. It's on Inner Traditions. Um, It's distributed by Simon & Schuster. And so I've been ramping back up on sharing all that knowledge. And uh, from that time, I was sick and what it was like and and also uh, how I healed. And so that's been a big part of my coming back into this, you know, and some part of me didn't want to ever think about Lyme disease.
0: Well, uh, you, you almost have to ask yourself, I mean, you'd almost imagine given the horrific nature of what you went through, you, 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 you'd want to lay it aside, but uh, instead you've chosen to open up yourself and, and, and share it with the public.
1: Yeah. You know, if someone would have shared with me what I now know, uh, back then it would have saved me years of suffering. And so that's my main goal is to save anybody who's dealing with long-term Lyme disease to uh, uh, help them come out of it, hopefully, much quicker than I did.
0: Mm-hmm. And you, I see there's mention of a 10-part series on liberating Lyme. Tell us about that one.
1: Yeah, I do, I do coaching now. So uh, people often call me that are dealing with Lyme. And so what I do is I'm sort of their Lyme coach. I'm not a doctor, but because I did heal Lyme, I have a lot of insights and I help people. Kind of uh, guide them on their uh, on coming out of it, and so I do like a, a ten-part series um, Zoom calls with people mm-hmm. and um, get them back on the on the path. There's a, there's some key things that that we do that really help jumpstart people.
0: Uh huh. So now our listeners, who most of our listeners are likely only just sort of vaguely associated with Lyme, so maybe we should yeah. just really. Kind of give it to them straight. I mean, I I told you as I told you before we got on the air. I, I actually read an article about Lyme disease. So there, the 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 um, the basic facts of the, the it's a tick-borne disease, that kind of thing. But but what you might be able to add to that is tell us sort of the inner a little bit of the inner story of, of Lyme in terms of of how it how it how it comes into you and talk about you use you, so much of what you offer in your book is is insights in terms of the nature of how your body is busy I'm, I'm not sure even quite what i'm asking you to be honest but uh, kind of give us an inner an inner sense of what lyme is and and kind of how how you talk to your your students about it
1: yeah well let's back way up with it we're going to go way back um so lyme Lyme disease is, is a spirochete, and it's a kind of bacteria. And we find it in, in, uh, in. Well, ticks are sort of the transmitter of it. So, but Lyme disease, or that particular bacteria, and that bacteria is called Borrelia, is found in animals like raccoons. It's found in um, deer, you know, the deer tick, and it's found in some uh, mice and and other mammals. And um, and so it's been around apparently for a long time. For the research in my book, I was looking up to see how long it's been around. And re- recently at Yale, they did a study where they've they shown that Lyme disease or Borrelia has been around for, for possibly a million years. And it looked like it originated in North America. So it's been around for a long, long time. Now, why it exploded in the 70s from Lyme, Connecticut. We're not sure. Some people have suggested that that they took the existing Lyme disease and tampered with it, and made it into a biological weapon or something like that. I'm not sure about that, but there's a couple of people who've written books on it, you know. And there's a lot of hearsay around that around COVID as well. So,
0: well, but but I think the thing that what what of course what COVID is is a, is a, is, a, is a zoonotic disease. That is it something that came from Jump from from animals to humans, and, and are are you are you saying that that this is just an er, an earlier version of a of a zoonotic disease in, in your opinion?
1: In my opinion, it is for Lyme disease, and I've seen we can get into why Lyme, but I've seen some. There's a couple of books out there that people wrote about Lyme disease, saying that that it was it was taken in the '50s, the existing bacteria, and tampered with. And, and put out there as a, you know, biological weapon. So I don't know if that's true or not, but it's just, you know, some, some people think that I, I think it was from, um, well, we can get into why, but I, I think personally, it's from a kind of eco what I call like ecological uh, pressure, ecological collapse where you have all these bacteria and viruses kind of that have existed for thousands of years, get out of control because, we're pushing into uh, ecological habitats that we never have before. And we have a lot of, well, basically sick, sick animals out there. That's a whole book in it.
0: Well, of course. But the thing is, is that, again, I mean, it's so appropriate for the time that we're in is like I said, the, the, the word is zoonotic when there's the transfer from animals to humans. And the very thing that you just said is what's assumed is, is that the, the jumping from a, of a of a viral or, an, or a bacterial, or in this case a spirochet, spirochetal, um, the, the contact came exactly from the encroachment of humans, on the on the normal animal spaces. So uh, so keep keep going down the road. You are you're doing fine.
1: Yeah, that's 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 my my belief of it. So so Lyme disease. It's important to understand how it works because you hear about people getting Lyme disease and then you hear about it lasting for a long time. So uh, just recently, the Center for Disease Control estimated that every year in the United States are about 400,000 cases of Lyme disease. And that's just cases that are reported. And of those, fi- anywhere from 5 to 30% are estimated, probably higher, are go chronic or sort of long-term. Now, let me... So what happens is that when when a tick bites you, you get this bacteria borrelia, but you also get a number of other bugs too. And there's there's four main bugs that are sort of involved with this Lyme family. And one of them is called babesia and that's actually a protozoan. And then another one's called uh, erlichia and then there's a fourth one called bartonella. So it's kind of like the tick bites you and dumps this just this smorgasbord of filth into your body. And the problem with Lyme is it, it's like it's like a parasite. What it actually after a few weeks of being in you, it can turn into this cyst or egg form. It's like it lays little eggs or a little cysts. And these little cysts hide out in your nervous system, in your in your ganglia, and that's like the nerve centers and they hide out in the nooks and crannies. So if you if you don't take antibiotics Early enough, this, the Lyme disease develops into these eggs or these cysts, and these cysts are incredibly hard to eradicate. There's some antibiotics, there's some herbs, there's some homeopathics, which I found which were extremely helpful in bringing me out of Lyme. But these little eggs will go dormant, and they've shown that these eggs can go dormant for up to a year. And then they'll hatch. And when they hatch, they mutate. So what you had before may not be quite what you have now. So and then they mutate and then they lay their eggs and then they hatch and then they mutate. So you get this ongoing cycle of Lyme that's incredibly hard to eradicate because of this, this sort of this parasitic type of cycle. And and people with this sort of chronic place have all sorts of symptoms and maybe they'll feel better for a little while for a a month or two while they, they get a handle on the adults, but then the uh, cysts hatch and then they'll feel like, you know, feel like poop for a few months and be bedridden. And then, and then, and then they'll get a little bit better. This is exactly what happened to me. I mean, I just went through years of being bedridden or, you know, getting better, getting sick, getting better. And then I started to, I started to get to the bottom of it, which we can get into next.
0: Right. Well, of course, that's the—that's a big part of the picture is that one of the great the, the pleasures of your book is that you really lay out in really intimate detail uh, not only the suffering and the pain, but also the steps that people can take. So we need to take a break, Veer. So we need to take a break here for just a, a few seconds. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you just to be quiet for 20 seconds or so while I can so, – so my technician – guy can find the break so we'll be back with you in just a minute and you and uh, ladies and gentlemen please stay tuned we're talking to Veer McCoy and his new book called Liberating Yourself from Lyme an integrative and intuitive guide to healing Lyme disease so please stay with us we'll be back with you in just a moment and welcome back to health matters radio Dr Nedho today joined by Veer McCoy and his new book Liberating Yourself from Lyme an integrative and intuitive guide to healing Lyme disease so, uh, Vera, you were just—we uh, were just starting to get into the deeper weeds of this uh, of this situation. So, please just keep 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 on keeping on, if you would.
1: Yeah, let's let's get into it. I just wanted to mention one thing as an addendum to what I said before, and that is, is that in two thousand and one, when I first was bit with uh, uh, by a tick, I had a hard time convincing the uh, the actually out there at the Point Reyes Clinic. I had a hard time convincing right. them to, to test me for Lyme disease and because the Lyme was apparently pretty non existent. And so when it came back, I tested positive. But we now know that Lyme has basically exploded in the last 20 years, especially in Marin County. In fact, the doctor that I was seeing at the time, Dr. Stephen Harris, told me that most of his patients in California were coming from Marin. So I just want to let your re- your listeners know to be very careful that 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 Lyme disease is very prevalent in Marin and Sonoma and probably Mendocino now and um we can get into
0: And 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 also still denied still still you know still I mean at least at least in my limited experience of it still people go well I don't think so or maybe not or you know so that there's still um resistance to taking up the challenge of what this really is.
1: Yeah. Right. So, so I went to the clinic, they diagnosed me with Lyme disease and um, Borrelia came back positive. So they start, started me on a course of antibiotics, um which is pretty standard for a month long. So I took that and all my symptoms cleared up. Now from the time I had been bit by a tick, so the time I took antibiotics was probably about two and a half months. We now know that that's too late, that if you don't get antibiotics or some kind of herbal situation, at least within a month of being bit by that tick, remember what I said about the lime can lay its eggs, and you don't want that to happen. And so by the time I had taken antibiotics, the lime I found out later, had already Turned into that egg form. So I took these antibiotics, and it cleared up all my symptoms, and I thought I was fine. And then two months later, uh, it came raging back. That's when I went to another doctor, and they did a they did a spinal tap on me, and they found, which is not fun, but, and they found high levels of uh, white blood cells and um, in my spinal fluid, which indicates that the infection had crossed the blood brain barrier. So I ended up in the hospital doing four, 40 days of, uh, of intravenous antibiotics to try to knock it out. And that seemed like it, it did the job. And then about six months went by after that. And then it came raging back again. And this time, this time I almost died. And this time I went into the hospital and they did all these tests on me. And it was very close. But something really amazing happened when I was in the hospital that, that time and that was I'm laying in bed. I have another IV hooked up to my arm with more intravenous antibiotics. And I'm super delirious. And I you know, Lyme gets into your into your um, pituitary and your pineal gland. So it really jumbles your brain. So you feel like you're you're you feel like you're losing your your mind like uh, everything it seems dyslexic and dis- disoriented and you get arthritis and you get you can get Bell's palsy like I did you can get all sorts of weird neurological issues you can get vertigo and dizziness which I had you can get um, arthritis all through the joints um, fingers toes you can get um, uh, uh, all sorts of like things like uh, minier syndrome which is like a vertigo Kind of thing. Um, it can be misdiagnosed as multiple sclerosis, which I think personally a lot of MS is Lyme. Um, so all these symptoms I had, I just had all these crazy symptoms, but I knew it was Lyme the whole time. And it made me realize that someone who's being diagnosed with some of these symptoms that didn't know it was Lyme could be misdiagnosed. They could be diagnosed with, you know, it's, it's meningitis, it's, it's Meniere syndrome, it's, it's arthritis, it's rheumatoid you know, all these other things. And I knew the whole time it was like, oh, wow, this is Lyme. This is Lyme coming back with a vengeance.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you, you knew that because you knew it inwardly, I'm hearing you say.
1: Well, I, I had done a bunch of research on it. At this point, I was, I was, I was studying it, and I learned about this, this sort of cyst formation right. that it can go into, and also it can go into your own immune cells, and it can fool your body. Lime is called the great Imitator. It can actually mutate. It's very smart, it's very sneaky. it's like it has a Many lines. people that are dealing with it long term will say it, it has sort of a crude consciousness or a, a parasitic kind of consciousness. It's very bizarre.
0: So as you, and you're, in, you're in the middle of all these uh, daunting healing ad- adventures so we say along yeah. the way, along the way do you, have repeated tests to see if, if the tests still show there's active Lyme infection, or are are you is this are you supposing that the that you in other words do you have uh, inst- uh, third party uh, proof that you are still suffering from Lyme Lyme infections?
1: So yes, initially I tested I tested positive twice, the first and second time I was in the hospital, but then the third time I was in the hospital. I tested positive for Ehrlichia, So I tested positive for one of the co-infections. And I ended up later having babesia. And then uh, um, I think, I can't remember. It's been so long. It's been like 20 years. I think I did test positive again a third time for Borrelia. And then I remember testing negative. Mm -hmm. So but a really key thing happened that third time in the hospital. And that was I'm laying in bed. And I'm just delirious. I'm at my wind, wit's end, you know. It's like, God, what is going on? Why is this not ending? And I'm, I'm feeling, I just started thinking about, you know, I I, I had sort of a rooted, rudimentary meditation practice, you know, I do a little bit here and there. So I'm laying in, in the hospital, and I just start breathing. I just start deep breathing because it felt like that was the only thing I could do. And... Um, I started to hold my brain, as line gets in your brain, or in this case, it was a I started to hold my brain like a little, little baby, you know, like the way a mother will, will hold a baby. And when, when baby makes a sound like, oh, mom knows that that means baby needs to go to the bathroom, baby's hungry, you know, I, I just started holding my, my brain as, as, as lovingly as I could. And I started asking it, what's the matter? What is the matter? Like, what do you need? The way, you know, mother will ask a child. And I just I just started using my sensory perception, as I call it. Like, what does it feel like? What does it taste like? What does the pain look like? What does it smell like? What does it remind me of? What does it, you know, look like? And and as we know, Carl, Carl Jung says in his book, book man and the symbols but spirit speaks in symbology so i'm laying in bed here and i'm holding my brain like a little baby pouring out as much love as i can to just really feeling into like what what it needed and i had this beautiful image of an oak tree in my mind's eye and up the side of the oak tree was mushrooms not the kind that grow on the ground, but the shelf mushrooms or those polyphores, the ones that grow up the trees. And it was like spiraling up in the sky like a Dr. Seuss, you know, drawing or something. And from my work as a field biologist, I was able to recognize two of them. One of them was reishi and the, the second one was turkey tail, which, by the way, grow, grow around in Marin and Sonoma. And then the third one, I, when I got out of the hospital, I looked it up and Paul Stamets' book, um, uh, and it turned out it was shaga, and these three mushrooms. I had this feeling of like I think I need these. <laughs> I think my body wants
0: these. Right. Well, lucky you, being a field biologist that could that had enough presence of mind to, you know and also experience to to identify these these. Uh, instead of just being a picture, they became an act, an active uh, member of your family, so to speak.
1: Yeah. So it dawned on me it's, uh, that later then, I was reading in National Geographic about Ozi the Iceman. And if some of you might remember, this was this frozen mummified guy they found in the Swiss Alps. Some hikers were hiking up in the Swiss Alps and found this sort of mummified body. And apparently... This body had been there for 5,000 years, and it was one particularly warm summer that it, it showed itself. So Otzi, they took this body and did all these studies on it, looked and see what he was eating and how he died, and, you know, what kind of cool leather sandals he was wearing and all this stuff. But they also tested him for diseases, and it turns out that Otzi, Ice Man, had Lyme disease.
0: Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Me.
1: But whilst I'm reading this in National Geographic, a little bit after I got out of the hospital and had had that mushroom vision, and then it said in the article that he had a little pouch around his belt. And guess what was in that little pouch? (laughs) The mushrooms. He had very similar kinds of polypore or shelf mushrooms. The exact same kind I saw in my vision in his little leather medicine pouch. He had two different kinds of, of mushrooms, the same kind of polypores. And I, I, right then and there, that, this was the confirmation I needed. It was like, okay, he was treating his Lyme disease. Either he went to a shaman or, you know, or he figured it out or something. But I have no doubt that he was treating his Lyme, Lyme disease. So it turns out that reishi mushrooms, I started doing all this research, it's been around for thousands of years in Chinese medicine to boost immunity. Same thing. Same thing with turkey tail mushrooms. It's used to boost immunity, and they're using it in an anti-cancer drug in the U.S. Yep. And the same thing. Same thing with shaga. And you probably know after working in Chinese medicine that these mushrooms are super important for
0: boosting the immune system. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So, so that must have been very, <laughs> that's very, very exciting, uh, and, and and also very confirming for you. And so, let's 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 get you out of the hospital, and and let's get you moving forward in terms of um, some of the inner work that you started to find that find that you you found yourself doing. I mean, now now you've received you've begun to receive vision, Let's call it that way. And 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 let's let's go because I think what 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 we hear from your book is also the 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 depth and the quality of inner work that you found was necessary f- for yourself to really pull yourself through this very devastating process so an inner work is hard and inner work is hard to talk about with you know easily and so i don't expect you to have a you know smooth to, you know deepak chopra kind of presentation on it but, but but, but talk, us, talk to us about how you found your way into the, the various levels of inner work and kind of what they were like and, and how you did them and get, sort of give us a feeling for that.
1: Yeah, so after I got out of the hospital, I started thinking about that process of how I was able to see potential remedies. You know, and it struck me that, that we've been evolving on this planet for thousands and thousands of years with all these plants and animals, and they've all been our, in, around us and sort of in our subconscious, you know, for for a long time. And, and I started thinking about shamans and how, like, shamans in the rainforest are supposedly able to talk to plants, or that or that the plant will tell them what the medicine is, you know. And there's been interesting breakthroughs in that way. And whole whole herbal, you know, repertoires have been created from these sort of you know interweavings of, of, of this this sort of intuitive shamanic realm um, and getting insights into plants and and their medicine. So I started to, I I have the brain of a scientist, but I kind of have the soul of an artist. So I started to approach it from a scientific place of like, okay, what if I work this intuitive muscle? What if I start doing this practice in my own body, like a loving meditation, I call it, into my own body and doing that same thing where I started holding parts of my body, even including the, my entire immune system, and just sort of listening, listening to what might arise. Maybe it's nothing, but being really open to, to any kind of smell or taste or thought or feeling. And I started this practice, and, and lo and behold, I started to, to see, feel, taste, smell. I started to get images, so I started to keep a journal of what I was experiencing and, and what sort of this, this inner guidance was telling me um, that I should be looking at. And meanwhile, I'm still working with with uh, traditional doctors. And at this point, I had shifted over to all alternative doctors. And I'm dragging around piles of pills with me and antibiotics and all sorts of herbs. And and uh, as any Lyme sufferer will will know, you you know you're. Usually dragging around a huge sack of something with huge pills. So I'm developing this whole intuitive place on the, on the other side. And I'm starting to write down what I'm experiencing. And I call it the holographic medicine chest. I call it that all these plants and animals and substances are out there. And we just have to get our brains out of the way. And that there's a place where our body will tell us what it's needing. Just as the way that a dog might crave grass, or they've been shown that certain animals will crave out, seek out certain plants when they're sick. I believe that there's this mechanism within all of us that exists there. We just have to get our thinking mind out of the way. And this becomes more of a sensory perceptive kind of place. And so I started, I wrote down all these things I was experiencing. And at one point I was like, geez. This is like a whole protocol. What if I just start trusting this and going with this? And to make a long story short, there's a couple other key things I'll talk about, but to make a long story short, I basically came out of Lyme disease based upon my own intuitive protocol over the years.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is a pretty striking thing to say, really. And, of course, taking you as an honest man and with making an honest point, it's it's still striking that that for many of our listeners who who expect some kind of external force is going to be the the curative agency or the external force or just the passage of time maybe maybe the body will itself will heal itself kind of without having to sort of get into the inner workings of it but what you're saying is that for here with this very deep difficult disease the spirochetal disease that you are actually able to to penetrate your your consciousness in such a way is to invite the intuitive side of your being to be a, a co-factor, a, a partner to your journey. And of course, part of what the what so many of our listeners and most of us we, we look for external guidance. You know, somebody's going to tell us what to do. <laughs> and and you're and you you did something different. I mean, you followed what was being told to you. I'm, I gather, but you also took yourself in such a in such a way that you could listen to the guidance that your own inner nature was 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 making available to you. So I don't know what more what what more there is to say about that, but it's a striking thing and I think so many times speaking for myself as a practitioner and I have to tell my my clients I say you you really have to trust yourself. You have to trust that your body will help you. It will, and your body and mind and spirit will help you if you listen and pay attention. And of course, some of the hardest thing for people to do is to not look for the next bottle or the next doctor or, or the next you know something that's somehow external to them and, and not really in the core of their being. And yet, what you're telling us is the core of your being is your great you know p- potentially your at least your 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 buddy. You know your your uh, your so anyway, um, we we have just a few more minutes, uh, Veer, and so I I don't want to miss anything. What what more should we, we would be talking about in terms of this book and kind of how our listeners can get a feeling for what, what it is you're sharing with us?
1: Yeah, i i so the book the book arose as a result of all these intuitive remedies that I that I uh, intuited. And I wrote them all down. And then I ended up what I would do is oftentimes I would see a remedy or see something, and I would do and I would do the scientific work around it and, and find out the science to back up what I was feeling. So the book is actually loaded with a ton of scientific information on all these remedies. And it turned out that some of what I was intuiting was very similar to other protocols. So the book is not only a a big list of a guide of going through lots of different remedies and protocols and herbs and medicines and antibiotics. Um, it's also, it's part of the book is, it's, is a, a guide to help people become uh, to tap into their intuition. I don't expect anybody to, to, to rely on that fully. And I think it's important to have a good doctor to work with, but to be able to start to develop that and to start that listening process is really really important because there might be a medicine that is specifically for for you that might be different from for for me so a big part of that book is teaching people how to become their own medical intuitive basically Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. and and you use the word liberating in a in a in a in a a very important way and i i maybe we could end there i mean liberating is is kind of a what Tell us what it means to you because I th- it, it I think it it it's so it so holds warmly the meaning of what your so much of your message is. So tell us about liberation and how that how that word came to you maybe and what else you whatever else you choose to say about it.
1: Yeah, this is kind of the the, the crux of it So over the years I started to develop this own protocol but but the real thing that switched for me was I decided I was gonna get to the bottom of it and take myself out to the desert for 10 days (laughs) so that's what I did is I went out to the desert for 10 days uh, by myself to get to the bottom of why I was dealing with Lyme disease and I had full-on a panic attack out in my tent out there in the desert and as most Lyme people will tell you you get you get these panic attacks and there's a tremendous amount of fear that's involved with it and I just started thinking about like what is it I'm so afraid of I'm so terrified of this little bacteria inside of my body like you know like why am I afraid it's going to kill me am I afraid I'm going to die you know and all this was just rolling around in my head and I'm just completely panicking and then I have the thought what if I love the (laughs) lime? it's it shocked me. And at the same time, a bazillion bells went off in my head. And it was like, oh my God, that's what Gandhi said. You know, this is what Martin Luther King said meet hate with love. You know, this is what Jesus said, bless the enemy. This is what every, you know, holy man and saint and sage has been telling us for the ages. And here I am applying it to a little bacteria. What if I love the lime? So I'm laying in my tent. And imagine what line looked like. And your listeners, we can do this with anything. We can do this with COVID. We can do it with anything we think of as the enemy. And I just started pouring out as much love as I could muster to this evil little thing in my arms. And I'm holding it. And I started to realize, like, my God, it's still alive. It's still this life form that's at the bottom of the karmic totem pole. Um, but it still exists. Can you imagine what it would be like to actually be that, to be Lyme disease or to be COVID, you know, to actually that's your existence? Like, how terrible is that? So I'm laying in my tent and I started to have a sense of compassion for this disease. Like, wow, what a terrible existence. And that was the moment I realized, oh, when you love the enemy, when you bless the enemy, it starts to lose power over you. And it dawned dawned on me. It's like you know what? This little thing might take my body, but it can't kill me. It can't kill my, you know, spirit, my soul. It can't. You can't kill me, little thing. And I love you. And (laughs) you need to leave now. And just like it, just like in martial arts, when we we bow to our enemy, we look them in the eye and say, "I see you as part of the universe." I bow to the. To the, you know to you now I'm going to cut your head off now now I'm going to burn you now get the hell out of me right now so that became my healing was I realized by loving it I was weakening it and then it was this level of like a sort of I call it like the immune fire just like and now get the hell out of me so boundaries on this very basic level this core level the Lyme was sort of teaching me to come back into my power. So I started to realize that, wow, there's a place where disease can somehow show us where we are out of our power in some ways, you know, not always. And after I came out of the desert, I was done with Lyme. Like within a few months, I was just, I was done. Wow. I haven't had, I haven't had any symptoms for 10, 10 years.
0: Well, pray, praise the Lord. And, and what a great story. that! <laughs> what a great story that is, Vera. And of course, how, how touching and, and, and gratifying it is to hear because, of course, in particularly in today's world that we're living with, and so maybe we, maybe we can take something forward from that in terms of our own lives, in terms of our own situation here in uh, California here and the country here in the world. So, Veer uh, McCoy, give us, give us your website one more time, if you would. And
1: Yeah, it's www.liberatinglime.com. Dot com. And that's what, in a sense, I was doing in the tent, right? I was liberating the disease. I was freeing it back to the universe. That's why I love that word, liberating. Yeah. Uh, that, and, it, and you can find me on Instagram as well, at, at liberating one.
0: It sure works for me, Veer. It sure, and it sure has been fun to have you tell us a story and get a chance to look, look somewhat at your book and to really feel the excitement that you've been able to bring for lots of people, I'm sure. And I, I think it's, it's going to go a long way to, uh, to be a, a support vehicle for lots of other people. So thank you so much for joining us today.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Take care now.